Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 57, entitled, The Order of Things. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be, if you can find your way over there. Last time we were together, we were looking at this whole issue of tongues in the Corinthian church, and how it was affecting uh, their worship. This time we're going to be backing up and looking at more in general what's going on in their worship service. Was it just tongues that was a problem? Uh, well, I should say, because of their attitudes, tongues and other things were a problem. So we're going to be looking into that uh, together. 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to be down in verse 26 here in just a bit. Uh, but uh, before we get there, we need to pray together. So let's let's do that. God, we're just grateful for another day. and uh, Thank you for your grace that gotten us to this place. Thank you for the opportunity we have to study the Word together. And I pray, God, for each heart that's listening uh, and learning, God, including mine. God, that you would touch us, that you would inspire us through your Spirit, uh, who is ultimately the teacher. And we trust him, and we trust your Word, and I pray it would have the place in our lives uh, that it deserves, that you intend, uh, that we would learn, apply, and grow as a result of our time together. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I'm sorry, 14, uh, is a couple of things that are affecting this church that will cause problems in any church, make issues greater. Uh, and one of the, the the main problem, the major problem, was that their general attitude of selfishness and self-absorbedness. They were immature. And so they thought about themselves before they thought about anybody else, and that will always cause problems. Uh, you show me a church where people are doing that, and I will show you a church that's going to have tons of problems. It might have to be worship. It can be anything. But, uh, of course, they were. we've seen this all the way through. It's part of, it's sort of the theme of this of this book is, that they're immature. Uh, they're divided and categorized each other based upon who baptized them. They were not waiting for each other at the Lord's Supper. Some were eating everything. Others were drinking all the wine. I mean, it was just sad and uh, incredibly sad, the selfishness and self-absorption going on there. And they were carrying, number two, this selfish attitude into their worship services, which is what we're looking at here in chapter uh, 14. Every Sunday they were coming together, and selfishness was their theme uh, in many ways. Uh, take a look, though, as Paul addresses, kind of gives us a picture, a glimpse of what's going on in the worship service here in verse 26. It says, what is the outcome then of, of, of this, brethren? When you assemble, here's their assembly, so Sunday morning, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So he says, you, everybody thinks they have a right to speak in the church. And you imagine, first of all, imagine how long that service would be. Uh, that right there tells you, wow, um, that'd, be, that'd be tough. Uh, uh, can you imagine if everybody wanted, who, who turned, up want, turned up wanting to speak, wanted to teach, pray, sing, how, how long would that take? So let me give you some examples of possibly what's going on in this church. So we have Sister So-and-So who comes every Sunday uh, with her gift of tongues, and uh, she doesn't wait as we've just been told here by Paul in, in Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, she doesn't wait for an interpreter. She just starts talking, starts filibustering in tongues. And, and obviously she does this every Sunday. She's doing it because it edifies her, but it doesn't edify anybody else. Nobody, nobody's blessed by that. She just is demonstrating that she's got this gift, and of what good is that to the church? Again, she's selfish and self-absorbed, and it's not just her. There's several others who are like her who are doing the exact same thing, and it's not just her doing that. It's also another brother who comes in with a word of prophecy. And again, both cases, legitimate gifts, 
But uh, just because you have a gift doesn't give you the right to exercise it. There has to also, with a, with a gift comes maturity. Remember, we're giving a spiritual gift at the point of salvation. So just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're ready to exercise it. Now, there has to be maturity. And it's not until the person is surrendered to Christ and Christ, Christ is able to live his life fully through them, they're surrendered completely to him, that the gift is actually of any use to the church. But anyway, so these immature people are showing up, like this brother who shows up with the word of prophecy, and it's not that it's not a legitimate gift, but, but he, you get the impression because he keeps repeating himself and he does it every single time that uh, he really just likes to listen to himself. And you have several other people doing the same thing. And it becomes this, this fleshly demonstration, albeit under the auspices of spirituality. And then right behind him, another comes and, and does the same thing. And then another person breaks into some song individually, randomly. Uh, and a lot of times it's just people wanting to hear themselves. Uh, and then others stand to filibuster in tongues, or I mean, I'm sorry, in prayer. And not that we're against prayer at all, but still there's no order and uh, most just do what they want to do without considering everybody else's needs and situations. So it's just pretty much all about them. And it's not about uh, what's going on. It's really not a corporate worship service. They're all under one roof, but it's really just private worship going on in a public circumstance. And so everybody's doing their own thing, and there is no order, and there's no consideration of each other. And so Paul takes issue with this. All you are showing up with this tongue, this prophecy, this word, and uh, there's no order. So he's going to lay down some general rules here that stops the stampede, if you will, and then some more general, less, I mean, more specific rules to, to settle the dust uh, of the church there at Corinth. And so we have our instructions on, the only instructions really on the procedures of a worship service we have here in chapter 14. But, uh, but, but before we look at, continue with verse 26 and the explanation of it, let's back up to chapter 13. Uh, with that in mind, consider what how strategic the placement of chapter 13 is. Chapter 13 is the love chapter, and Paul is telling us this is how love acts, and this is not how love acts. And so with the consideration of how they're acting in worship, which is their public meeting together, let's, let's read the, the, the love part of the love chapter again, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 4 and 5. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, so you've got a tongue on Sunday morning, great. But I do not have love. I, have, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. It's, it needs to be done in love, which means sometimes you need to shut up. <laughs> you need to hold it. I mean, there's no interpreter, and you're just filibustering? Hmm. And if I have the gift of prophecy, there's an important gift. Paul goes on and on how much important it is, more important it is than tongues. Chapter 14. And I know all mysteries and all knowledge, but I, and I have all faith so as to move mountains. So you've got all these incredible gifts. But I do not have love. I am nothing. Again, what is love? It's, it's, the, it's the product of the Spirit in our lives. Not to say that gifts aren't, but a gift happens at the point of new birth. But love, the domination of the Spirit, happens in maturity. So again, he's after maturity. Show me a mature person and that person exercising a gift, well, I can trust that. But an immature person, honestly, has no place exercising their gifts. They need to sit and learn quietly until they can mature and grow and have the experience and the time to be everything God wants them to be. Verse, verse 4, here, here's how love acts. Love is acts patiently, right? Love is kind. They weren't doing that. He's wanting to hear themselves. 
Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. They were just using the opportunity to demonstrate how, look how great I am. This is my gifts. It's not the way love acts. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account wrongs suffered. All those kind of things were happening. And Love wasn't being done, even though gifts were being exercised, that they are totally out of order. So general rules that Paul gives here, first of all, in verse 26, we're back to chapter 14. The outcome then, brethren, when you assemble, each one has this psalm or a teaching or a revelation, has a tongue, nothing wrong, by the way, with that, great, has an interpretation, here's the rule, let all things be done for edification, to build others up. Remember, the purpose of a gift is not to help you if you're the one that has the gift. It's to help others. If, as we've seen in the, the conversation about uh, tongues in chapter 14, if there is no interpreter and you have the gift of, of tongues, it's only to edify you, and you should be silent in the congregation. Because a gift is for the exercise, the edification of the church. And if it can't be done that way, then you don't do it. You don't. So it's to be done, let all things be done for edification, not for exhibition. Edification, again, means to build each other up. How, how, can, I, how can my gift help you, should be my thought. Not in how it can help me. Not I can't wait for them to hear me. I can't wait for them to see me. That's the way the world acts. That's not the way love acts. It's not the way the church should be. We demonstrate that we're still of the world if we're acting that way. Paul's got an issue with that. Of course he does. Let everything be done for edification. Edification comes from the same root word as edifice, which is, of course, a building. To build something. So is this building the congregation? Because if it's not, then we don't do it. We don't do it. Is this building? Even if it's just everything staying the same, we don't do it. It has to build. If, if you're not, here's, here's another point. Do, do you chum, come to church to get or do you come to church to give? And I don't mean an offering plate, even though you should do that. But, but if, if you're not getting anything out of the worship service, here's a suggestion for you. Stop coming to get. Come to give. And if you will come with that attitude, you will always get. Follow me? Stop coming to get something out of it. You will have a hard... You will, it, you're here for selfish motivations. Self-promotion. Build yourself up. Again, that is not scriptural. We all have our little bouts. We all have our issues. And of course, we all have the right to be immature, at least early on. But as we grow, we grow out of that, and I stop coming to get. I start coming to give. Let this be your attitude when you come to church. God, please bless someone through me today. Instead of, please let me get a blessing today, please speak to me today. And like I said, there's, we have bad days. There's room for some of that. But if that's all you ever do, and if that's all everyone else is ever doing in the congregation, I'm telling you, you're going to be messed up just like this church was. At each other's throats, uh, not ministering to each other, everybody edifying themselves, again, self-absorbed, uh, selfish in their attitudes. 
Instead of that, say, God, work a miracle in someone's life today. I pray that you would. God, heal someone's hurts today. God, save someone today. Let that be your attitude as you come to corporate worship. Instead of give me something, come to give yourself away. Don't come to get. Come to give. The number one killer of worship is self-focus. Say it again. The number one killer of worship is self-focus. Worship starts with God-focused, and then secondly, others-focused, and only thirdly, and not until then, self-focus. What's in it for me should never be first, never be second, never. Again, number one killer of worship is self-focus. Here's Matthew 5, Jesus referring to worship. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, you're there to worship God. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So God ties worship to taking care of our relationships. And if we don't do that, we're not considerate of others and the needs of others and how they feel. Well, why should it matter how they feel? Well, it matters to God. Notice it doesn't say he's got a legitimate cause. Just say he's got an issue. Go to it. Try to make it right. Go to it. God, here's the second. So, so let all things be done for edification. Then secondly, major general rule. God is not a God of order. I'm sorry, not a God of confusion, but a God of order. Look down in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 40. But let all things be done properly and in orderly manner. So this is the second rule. So everything be done for edification, and then also let everything be done in order, because God is a God of order, not of confusion. There was a surgeon and an engineer and a politician who were debating over which one of their trades was more important, and the the, the, the conversation went to which one was the first. And the surgeon piped up and says, well, obviously surgery was first because God took a rib out of Adam and made Eve and then closed up the place where the rib came from. So obviously that's surgery. So surgery is the oldest profession. And then the engineer says, I beg to differ with you. It says before he ever did that, he took chaos and turned it into order. He says, that obviously was engineering. The whole time, though, the politician is over on the side there just smiling at both of them and said, what are you smiling about? He says, so, so God took, uh, before there was ever a surgery, there was uh, uh, order, and before the, the order came from chaos, he says, as a politician, where do you think the chaos came from? Yeah. God's not a God of chaos. He stopped chaos. And that which represents God cannot be chaotic. And that is far from what was going on in the church there, uh, the Corinthian church, of course. Uh, why not just, I've heard people argue this way, why not just let God be in charge, as if he's not? Uh, I, I heard this proposed to, with regards to worship. Give the service to God and just let the Spirit lead. It sounds nice, but in practice, I've seen it often ends in chaos, and some who say that just simply want the opportunity to do whatever they want. In my experience, again, my experience may be 
short-sighted. But, but let me ask you the question if that's your opinion. So God can't be in charge if we planted ahead. Is, is that what you're thinking? Surely not, right? God doesn't know what's going to happen until we get there. Is that right? No, it definitely is not right. So this whole argument of that's just the service can just go willy-nilly and uh, that's the only way the Spirit can be in charge. Uh, simply not true. These types of services usually result in confusion and chaos, which is the opposite of the leadership of the Spirit. Spirit-filled meetings is, is, if anything, it is orderly and respectful of others. And that more often than not requires us to plan ahead of time. Prayerfully so. Prayerfully so. Sure, surely the God who saw the beginning, the end from the beginning can plan our churches and our services a week in advance, can he? doesn't have to be, oh, we need to let it be free. Well, that is free. Free to do exactly what God has called us to do. So that there will be order because that is what represents God. That's so incredibly important. Verse 27. He continues with this instructions. So here's some of the, so we had major headings. Let everything be done for edification. Everything be done in order. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by Two or at the most three. So now he's limiting them. Each one in turn and let one interpret. So not without interpretation. It has to be uh, with interpretation. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. Wow, now that's an indictment against a lot of the tongue services that I've, I've not been a part of many of them, but I've been a part of some of them. And it's just people just going on and on and on. Like I said, filibustering in tongues. Where's the scriptures in that? Where's the interpretation in this? They're just benefiting themselves. Nothing wrong with the gift of tongues, but if you have no interpreter, keep it to yourself. Tongues are only used to the congregation when there is interpretation and not any other time. Don't break these rules. Again, when we're breaking these rules, we're doing we're going against what God has said, and this is his church, not ours. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. So, so they decided ahead of time for the sake of others, and that, that needs to be done. Uh, taking turns. Uh, 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 sounds like a pretty long service, doesn't it? Well, it's not near as long as when everybody shows up and thinks they've got a right to preach, teach. No, it needs to be decided ahead of time. Who's going to do this? Two or three people at the most. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 29, verse, verse 30, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, let the first keep silent. In other words, let him take turns. Let the guy here finish, and then it'll be your turn. Don't break in. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, it's you know we're, there's nothing wrong with us correcting each other. There's nothing wrong with us adding so, brother so-and-so said something, and I would like to add to that. Brother so-and-so said this, and I don't feel like it's that way. I feel like it's this way. But it's be done in respectful ways. Be done in orderly in orderly ways. Uh, uh, continue there. Uh, you know, Notice the, the difference between sometimes what we see and what's actually being said here. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. So it's 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 not about... It, it, again, it's it's about order. It's about self-control, which is the hallmark of the Spirit's control. 
Uh, to be out of control is not the hallmark of the Spirit. It's, it's the hallmark of a human spirit or some other spirit that's not holy. The Holy Spirit, though, if He's in charge, it's going to be self-controlled. It's going to be in order. There's this idea held out by some that think the more that we're in, out of control, uh, the more the Spirit is in control. And this simply is not biblical. Just simply is not. There's no scriptural evidence that the Spirit ever overrides someone's conscience or their personality. Not a single example of that. So if you're in a service where someone is lapsing out of consciousness or out of personality, I would say probably a good idea for you just to lapse yourself on out of there. Because something else is going on. And we have a lot of that that perpetrates itself as a worship service. And it's not. It's not representing God. Again, I, I can't sit in judgment on these people and where their real hearts are. But I can sit in judgment on what they're doing because it says very clearly in the Scriptures they shouldn't be doing that. That's where we judge. I can't tell you where their hearts are. That's God's business. So, so if, you're, if you're meeting, again, and it's out of order... You're meeting and it's out of control, whether in, in general or within individuals, then you know Spirit's not in charge. You're meeting and it's not for edification other than the individual edification. Look at me. Look how great I am. Watch me. I like to hear myself talk. Uh, then, then it's not God in charge. And you don't want to be a part of that. Then the third rule of order has to do with the sexes. And it is a controversial one, I will say, but it is about as straightforward as you can possibly get. Verse 34 and 35, again, these are all rules of order. Let it all be for edification, let it all be done in order, and then notice verse 34, let the women keep silent in the churches. It's pretty clear. I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. For they are not permitted to speak, but let them be let them subject themselves, just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper, here it says again, for a woman to speak in church, or the, the assembly, if you will. It's improper. So, so first of all, let's get to what Paul is really saying here, and we need to eliminate what Paul is not saying. A couple of things. Number one, he's not saying that this is a rule only for this local church and not, for, uh, not an application to other churches both then and now. No, this is a universal rule. Read it again. It's very clear. It's true for all the churches, he says. It wasn't just something for that time. It's also something for this time. Again, the, the, the scope is really clear there. Another thing that he's not saying, he's not saying that the women in this church are just simply chattering during worship. That's not what he's talking about, and they need to be more respectful because while somebody else is speaking, you shouldn't be talking you know, out in the congregation. That's not what he's talking about. What he is clearly talking about is women who would be speaking in a tongue or prophesying in a corporate worship service as the leader. He says, I don't let that happen. I don't let that happen. It's a position of elders. It's a position of the ordained leadership of the church. And specifically, they are never to be women. In case you want to differ over that, look, at he says a similar thing over here again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain silent. How could she be a pastor? How could she be a deacon and keep with that verse? She cannot. How he continues there in chapter three of First Timothy to talk about you know how it's an honorable thing if if a man it says desires to be an overseer or a deacon, and that in both cases he is to be the husband of but one wife. Okay, 
We don't want him married to two women. That's not very smart. <laughs> uh, but in every case, in both cases, it's males. It's males. Again, this is an issue of order. How, how do we keep the order in the church? Well, we do it the way God tells us to do. The context is order. And there is an order of leadership within the household of God. There's just the same as there are order of leadership within the household that God created. The oldest institution is not the church. It's the family. And we've already been through this as we've been back in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and I refer to you back to those studies. But when God originally created the family, he put the man in charge. Now, I, I, it has nothing to do, obviously, with his giftedness and his capabilities. I, I'm married to a woman who's just as capable as I am. But someone has to be in charge. You've got two equals. You can't have both of them in charge. God gets to decide, not us, who's in charge. I don't necessarily like the responsibility. And I may have a wife who is far more capable given the circumstances, but someone has to take the responsibility. And that is the role of the man. So, so in the family, the original institution, the man is to be the leader. So when we come into the New Testament age, which is 4,000 years later since the creation of man and woman and the family, the institution of the family, God's going to create an institution, namely the church, in which he overthrows the family organization? No. In fact, he goes on there in First Corinthians, I mean First Timothy chapters four and five to talk about what he's talking about. He says, in the household of God, that's what we're going that's what we have here. So this order of worship, this this way we're to conduct ourselves, is how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God. When we're together collectively, men, very clearly, are supposed to be the leaders. That's what he says. You say you don't like it, and I would say find a way to get over it. Because this is not our church. This is his church. And he gets to decide what it is. Again, it's we're talking about order here. There is an order. There is a right way to do it, and there is a wrong way to do it. Let's, let's just think in the sense of order. So very clearly in the Scriptures, it's very clear, unmistakable, that the man is to be the head, the husband is to be the head of the wife, right? So, But if the wife is the pastor or the deacon or the leader, whatever title you give her, so at home, the husband is the head of his wife, but at church, it flip-flops. So the church has overthrown the order of the family. Can't you see how that leads to confusion? It is very confusing. And again, we have, and I, you know, I'm not judging their hearts because I don't know where their hearts is, but we have a lot of churches where, where we have women pastors, and I'm just telling you that's not biblical. It's not. Women deacons, not biblical. Scripture doesn't teach it. Scripture teaches against it. Again, because women are less qualified, less gifted, less knowledgeable, less, you know, no, 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 no. It's a decision based upon God. Someone has to be in charge. Someone has to take responsibility. And God says the men have to do that. The men have to do that. I mean, God bless the women where, where you, you've got a bunch of lackadaisical men who aren't standing up doing what they're supposed to do. Somebody's standing up and doing something. And that may be what's going on in this church. Like I said, it's not for me to say. But it is for me to say very clear in the Scriptures, the Scriptures say that's not the order of things. It's not. It's not. Things have to be in order for edification, for consider of building others up, right? Uh, because God is not a God of confusion. This is not our church. This is His church. We do it His way. Let's pray together. God, we thank You that You have 
allowed us to be a part of your church. We thank you for calling us, for placing us here that we can serve you. God, help us not to adopt the principles of our world and place them within our churches to take our own selfish motivations and our own way of doing things and our own way of thinking and coming and somehow trying to foist them upon the congregation. Instead, Lord, we submit completely to you. It's your way. This is your church. Uh, it's done according to your order. Help us to be careful, God, not to come together to get, but to give, to see others blessed, because that is indeed the best way to get. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't come to serve yourself, but you came to serve you as leader, Lord, which is the demonstration to all of us leaders, did not come to be pushed up front. Instead, you came and washed our feet. Lord, that's the example of leadership that we have. I pray that we would follow that example uh, of maturity, of submission to your spirit and your control, letting you live your life through us, which is what the Christian life is. Thank you, God. Bless these words in our ears, in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.